Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a short cast from The Word. It's like a podcast, but short. I'm going to start this uh, this interview with Neil Cowley with an abject apology, Neil. Oh yeah, was it? Um, because while picking out your album as as my my pick of the month, I mistakenly said it was your first Neil Cowley trio record. Ah. Which I, I don't know why I did that. Or maybe it's a psychological thing. Maybe you think that the other three weren't much cop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I, I didn't hear the other three. Oh, there you are. Um, no, which is, you know, I'm sure, no reflection on their quality or anything. Um, maybe it's just that it, it sounded fresh to me, so I thought it was... Well, it's so kind of a new I, sound. I, I should just apologise to you, no, first no. of all. Apology accepted. Before we go any further. Mm. Now, it's traditional on the Word podcast when we have musical guests to start by asking them... What music was in their house when they were growing up as a child? What records, if any, did your parents have? Well, that's a good question. Um, and it's the fundament of everything that I am, really. Um, <clears throat> Errol Garner Records. Um, my mother, it was just me and my mum, and uh, she uh, really was, I suppose, a classical and jazz fascist. Nothing much beyond that got in the house. So it was old vinyl records. It was Errol Garner, it was Fats Waller. Your feet's too big. Um, uh, Shostakovich, um, she was quite, you know, Ella Fitzgerald. It was jazz, it was jazz. And, you know, she really hadn't, she was very much a 60s person, but she wasn't, um, she didn't really go along with that Beatles and Stones ride okay. that, that, that I did, actually, in, in retrospect. I mean, yeah. as soon as I was free to make up my own mind, I, I did this 
fabulous, grand retrospective of everything that came before. So, but before that, your growing up was mainly kind of fairly serious music. Yeah, I suppose so. So, yeah. is this in the apart from your feet's too big? Is this in the Is this in the what the sixties and seventies or what? Seventies, uh, late yeah, late seventies uh, yeah. that I would have started listening and hearing. Right. When I was born. So, where were you growing up? Hayes in Middlesex, near Heathrow Airport. Oh, right, near the EMI factory. Very much so. In fact, my grandma worked, I think, in the EMI factory, yeah. It was a company town, wasn't it, Hayes? It was, much yeah. In those days. That and Heinz. Yeah, of course. So, um, were, you, uh, were you set to learn the piano at a... At a- Early age. Well, um, my father, although he wasn't in the house, he um, he used to he left he had a piano there um, for parties only. So he'd come up, we'd come along, play piano, and have a party. And so it was always there. And so I would be mucking around on it. And uh, my mother sensed that I had an aptitude for it, so she sent me to lessons with an old lady called Mrs. Rickson, with a a nose that increased in size every week <laughs> when I saw her. I never understood why, but um, and she used to give me marks out of ten. Uh, and, and how old were you? Was it was seven, six, or six or seven. Six yeah. on my sixth birthday, in fact, I, right. I went for my first piano lesson. So yeah, and uh, so this old, this old lady, she she um, she thought I had something special, I think. So she, and she used to talk with great pride about how many marks out of ten I got, you know, every week and da da da. And uh, so ultimately, I ended up playing piano in assembly at schools because there wasn't a teacher to play piano for the hymns and things. So I'd just sit there and play those oh, really? on rotation. Uh, and and then you did your your grades. Your did exams? all my grades. Yeah, did all my grades. Hang on, how fast did you go through the gr- your grades? I did. Um, the, the general uh, f- um, policy for my piano teacher was to do one a year, but I think I did two in one year. So I, I was I reached that grade five point where you have to do grade five theory by about age ten or eleven, I think. Right. But I got these distinctions, you see. So really? I was I was yes. So were you rubbing <laughs> shoulders with kind of people who would be described as prodigies at, at no. festivals? No, they're quite like thin that. on the ground in Hayes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you travelled to find them. I thought it was like I thought it was like chess masters and so forth. Well, no, what happened was I got I got uh, discovered playing piano in assembly by the music advisor for the borough of Hillingdon, oh, and he took me under his wing and taught me. And, and through him, I discovered the other so-called prodigy in uh, in Hillingdon, which is a kid called Adrian. And we, we the two of us were taught by him, and we were nurtured to go on to really? bigger and better things. Whatever happened to Adrian? Do you know what? I just I bumped into him oh, really? after a good many years. I bumped into to him his name's Adrian his name was Adrian Bunyan he's changed it now can't think why but um, his name was Adrian Bunyan and uh, I bumped into him recently he's a lovely lad and, and he went in, he's, he's a high flyer in the city right so he's, yes. right. he's not wasting his time being in music oh yeah he's piling up money <laughs> very good but, but you you were performing kind of serious works in public when you were quite young well yes um because of this very influential borough advisor, Mr. Eric Stevenson, he arranged these yearly concerts at the, at the Queen Elizabeth Hall with the youth orchestra that he used to run. And, uh, of course, me being his piano student, he plonked me at the front of it. And we played works like Carnival of the Animals, which I played with young Adrian, hit him on the, as a duet. And then uh, Shostakovich's Piano Concerto Number no. 2, another year. Um, and, yeah, and ironically, the Queen Elizabeth Hall is where I'm returning in three months' time to debut this album. It's the first time in years. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're back on your own turf. I'm back on my own turf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, 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 but in those days, I mean, this was furious amount of rehearsal and reading, sight reading yeah. and so forth. You, yeah. you mastered all those, uh, all those skills. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, very much so. And when did you start playing something beyond the classical canon? Well, because I was deprived of anything such as, you know, anything close to Top of the Pops, I had no idea what had gone on um, in the world of music post, really, post 1935. So 
Um, when <laughs> when um, when uh, aged thirteen, a friend of my mother's at this packing company in Southall said, uh, "I'm starting a Blues Brothers covers band, and we need a piano player." <laughs> my mother said, "Well, my boy plays piano." Um, uh, and so I, I got I got pushed into this room with this sort of late twenties some or, or so band, the loudest thing I'd ever heard. Two bass players and a, a, a drummer without any legs, um, a paraplegic drummer. He was fantastic. He used to play the bass drum through a tube in his mouth. Um, when I discovered, <laughs> you're pulling a face. Oh, no, I'm fascinated. <laughs> um, in when the I... words of Ewing Green, we want to hear him. <laughs> He was, he was in a band called Episode Six this time. Oh yes, Episode Six had a well a hit record, didn't they? Yeah, a guy called John Kerrison. He was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and unfortunately, a big uh, he was working on a building site, and a big oh, pile of lintel fell on him. Dear, dear. So it's very sad. But he, he was a great. Kept know, on playing the drums. Kept on playing the drums. Um, so when I was thrust in the room with all these fascinating characters and 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 asked to play in a pub, um, and someone introduced me to you know, black American music. <laughs> I was in, like I, Flynn. I'm fascinated, though, the, the idea of it. It says so much about contemporary popular music that you're finally introduced to it via a Blues Brothers <laughs> cover group. You know, this is, the Blues Brothers were an entity developed in when? The 80s or something? To pay tribute to the music of yeah. the 60s. Yeah. And you're coming along, what, 10 years after that yeah. or something like that? Exactly that, yeah. That's but but, but that is, it's always always fascinating me the Blues Brothers vehicle because although although you know purists or whatever would say oh no, it's, it's just travesty um, <laughs> it, it introduced so many people in my generation to something I so. you know I personally hate it yes I'm not but surprised I've you're not alone real, I've grown up with the real thing whereas I hate you know, people stick on their sunglasses and those hats I think it's stupid That's yeah to mind, you know? but he's thirteen I mean I was none the no, wiser no, no, no sure sure um, so you started playing with them d- doing yeah. what pubs and so yeah like, pubs yeah. the first we did was in the Esso Club in Stanwell, right. which was a charity. Is this sports and social club. <laughs> yeah. Is this? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, and uh, it was. Yeah, we made a terrible racket, and nobody really clapped. But I was, I was hooked. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed. And then I just went on a journey of discovery, my own journey of discovery that I completely owned, and it wasn't being thrust upon me by any musical educator or whatever. And so. I very quickly went off the whole classical mould and everything else and just went, oh, this is for me. If, I, if I'm going to do music, it's going to be this. Was this to the dismay of your teachers? Dismay of my teachers? Ironically, I remember sitting down with poor old Mr Stevenson and he was saying, well, you see, Adrian... Uh, he's 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 not uh, you know he's not taking this path. You are taking this path. He's on the straight and narrow. He's on the straight and narrow. He's it's it's all about <laughs> the city. who you know. Yes, yeah, to the city. <laughs> and ironically, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> so I was told, yeah, I was making a terrible mistake. And my mother as well. She told me I was making a terrible mistake and uh, threw threw her hands up in the air. Well, it's a, it's a very heartbreaking thing for any parent to see a child, you know, go through the really difficult period of learning a skill. <laughs> Well, I'm a father and then now. And suddenly it? turn around and not want to do it anymore. It must Which be is, awful. I'm a parent now, and it would break my heart. And I understood why her heart was broken. It was only three or four years. No, it was about three years later um, that I answered a Melody Maker advert, and then got on this tour. And the first gig was the Albert Hall, and my mother said, "Oh, maybe this wasn't such a oh, bad really? idea." Oh, really? So, go on. Who was that with? The Pasadenas. Do you remember? Oh, them? good grief! They kind of song and dance outfit. Yeah, yeah, really. Sort of like. Um, Incredible Blues Brothers, I suppose. <laughs> I can vaguely remember. Okay, so how long ago was that? That was 1991. Right. So, And you just signed up to be in the band on tour? Yeah, just side man on tour. Right. The first gig was uh, my first flight abroad, um, really? other than the Albert Hall, which was a part of an Alexander O'Neill tour. 
Um, and so, yeah, I did, suddenly it was all right what I was doing. I was, I'd actually made quite a wise decision, it turned out. So presumably your, your uh, classical background and being a quick study served you in really good, stood you in really good stead in yeah. that kind of work where they just fling a tune at you and you have to be able to... Yeah, and, and because also I'd spent the last couple of years honing my ears because no one else was going to show me how to do a 12-bar chord progression or, or how to play a uh, you know a Ray Charles record. It was going to have to be me and I was going to have to play the tape, rewind it, play the tape until I'd learned how, to, how it's done. That's how you did it. That's it? how I did it. And, and because I was hanging around with the musos that were a bit older than me, they are also kind of, you know, they're all saying you need to listen to this David Sanborn album or this Miles Davis album and, and you know, the, or Pat Matheny album, so I was being thrust all this stuff, right? And I, and I sort of kind of picked it up, and yeah. kind of what was going on, because that's what you did. I mean, that was. So, how did you get from there to the Neil Cowley Trio? Well, uh, via a great deal of rebellion and personal anguish, I think. Really, I, I um, having done things like the Pasadenas and and other other bands where I was a side man and and put, been part of that acid jazz um, sort of scene. Um, I... I'm going to have to stop you. Yes, please do. You're going to have to explain. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to come clean here. Yeah. I, I think I recognise acid jazz when I hear it, mm. but I'd be interested to know what the definition is. Oh, you're going to ask me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> what is acid jazz? Um, the, the definition would be oversimplified if, if it was down to me. It would be literally you have to wear flared trousers and, <laughs> you, have, and you have to wear slightly tinted glasses. Um, for me, of what it defined for me was it, it came at the point when my generation of people were rediscovering this ancient art of soul music, which, of course, we thought, being being 20 years hence, we thought was the, the ancient past, which yes, we could regurgitate yeah. and uh, we could produce for our own ends. Now, of course, 20 years, I realise 20 years is nothing, and, and, the, and the people that had just come out, lived through that, must have been thinking, what an absolute, uh, you know, yeah, yeah travesty this is. Um, but... Uh, for me, it was just a rediscovery of, of tons and tons of good music. Finding that, old Blue Note records. Yeah, all like that. that stuff. I mean, it really was right. that for, for people who were too young to have had it first time around. Right, 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 right. So who were you playing with in that Brand time? New Heavies right. was, was my main gig for about four years. Right, right. And really, I was looking for a way to express myself. That was great. It was a fantastic experience going on on those tours. And I met the wonderful Saida Garrett, who co-wrote Man in the Mirror with Michael Jackson. I, I did some co-writes with her. These were great these were fantastic you know people that I was meeting that I was, I was gleaning information from but really I was looking for my own voice so I went on the on a search uh, through dance music I, I was in a psychedelic trance band called the Green Nuns of the Revolution which was um, essentially meant just hanging out on uh, illegal raves like a, on an ostrich farm in South Africa we played as the sun came up and I remember an ostrich farm in South yeah, Africa yeah it was that kind of gig I think you have to tell us more about the ostrich farm in the, South Africa the ostrich farm in South Africa I don't know I was just I was plonked in the middle of it I was told I was going to be playing although really if I'm honest most of it's miming um, it's, it's just an occasional turning of a filter it's not really a live gig really <laughs> this is what we've always suspected oh you're absolutely bang on so much miming goes on in that world I remember yeah we did we did a gig once where uh, we were it was shameless miming. I mean, we had a desk which is much like the one I'm looking at here, with with a sort of a, a selection of knobs on and faders. And one of us was really, you know, putting a hell of a lot of work into turning a fader up or down, absolutely, controlling absolutely nothing. Um, and then the other <laughs> the, the other one was was a turning a, a you know a high high end filter on a keyboard. And then the other one was we had a pair of headphones and was doing something over there. And the keyboard, as we were making so much sort of movement, this table was rocking backwards and forwards, and the keyboard 
started to come off the front of the thing, and and this ra- this raver, he came springing out of the of the of the dance floor to save the band, and he, and he had his hands on the keyboard, holding the keyboard up there because the, t- the table was no longer going to hold it, and there's it, just this mutual thing. I'm hanging on there, guys. You, this gig will go on, and yeah. all the time it's doing nothing, you know, absolutely nothing. But people like to see effort. They like they? to see effort, and really, I've, I've it's yeah, really worked that out. Interesting, isn't it? It's all about effort. We we do we make believe in my band now that we're making a lot more effort than we really are and that's the key to it (laughs) (laughs) so how did the Neil Cowley trio start then and how long ago well I'd I'd gone through this dance field and I was in I had my own band called Fragile State which is a sort of slightly chilled out electronica thing but it was a lot of producing music in my own bedroom which actually wasn't what I was trained to do really I wanted to do something that was instant immediate and live and and as as fewer few buttons as possible just an instrument because that's what I do best and I'd sort of fallen away from it so I decided uh, uh, this Fragile State Act, Fragile State Act, the, the, the record company was signed to went bust and took all our royalties with them. So it just seemed like a good time to make a change. So aged twenty nine or thirty, I, I started the Neil Kelly Trio. I, I'd done a few secret blue rinse jazz gigs just to make sure I understood the jazz vocabulary. Hey, what's a, what's a blue rinse jazz gig? Well, you know, like a, uh, we we used to play this garden centre on a Friday afternoon where we just uh, a garden. Oh yeah, it's tops. It's top. Top rock <laughs> and roll. Ostrich farm. Garden set. <laughs> it's good. No, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, we played a garden centre in Twickenham uh, every Friday, uh, and we went, we just to see if we could play some old jazz tunes and if we could get away with it. And then because you get, I, I think I can picture this place because you get a certain demographic in garden centres, yeah. don't you? Yeah. You get elderly people. You get elderly you get people. retired people, yeah. and they, they've. Wandered around the garden centre, they maybe bought something, they'd gone to have a cup of coffee. That's in, exactly what in they the cafe. Yeah. And you were the live. There we were playing, uh, you know, Fly Me to the Moon as or whatever it was. Time goes by. Time yeah. goes by. <laughs> as time goes relentlessly by. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what we did, just to sort of get our chops up, secret gigs, the things that we'd never publicized, but I've now said it on the Word podcast. No. So it's the secret's out. It's secret's out. Everybody will be flocking down to looking for the garden centre <laughs> in Twickenham. And presumably you have to not play too loud, don't you? Yeah, in that, in that environment. I mean, we, we quickly dropped all the rules we'd learned. I mean, this band is not about that, that kind of jazz. It's, it's, uh, as soon as we got serious and we recorded something, which we did uh, over uh, two days at Real World, Peter Gabriel's place in, in Wiltshire, as soon as we did that, I then we brought in all the other elements that we'd picked up along the way, like you know energy dynamics, uh, credibility, right. um, <laughs> and you know not not too much noodling. All these things that we you know were really our flavour. So I sense that you have a difficult relationship with the word jazz. I do have a very difficult relationship with it. Um, yes, and I think jazz itself has quite a difficult relationship with me, um, and I'm not sure where I stand within it. Uh, I try. If if I if I say we're not jazz, I sound I sound ungrateful, yeah, uh, and I sound irreverent because really we, it was a piano, double bass, and drums, and people have got a certain pitch, yeah. They? Like, but this is it, you know. You say, oh, you play jazz, and you see their play, they are head on the side. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have to be honest with you. I don't really like jazz. No, no you probably don't. You know, and and I'm not sure I do. But, it's, all, but... that's also the other difficult thing about jazz. We were talking about jazz FM earlier, and you you've done an interview there. Yes, today, earlier yeah. today. Mm-hmm. That it always struck me as one of the great dilemmas of Jazz FM was that the people who liked jazz couldn't agree on what kind of jazz they liked, <laughs> and that they hated all the stuff that they didn't like. That's right. Yeah. So they didn't they didn't march behind the banner of jazz. No, no. Well, no. <laughs> jazz is a very strange world. You know, no one wants to admit to liking it, and if they do, they're very they're very rig- they're very rigorous about it. And um, all I know is that when we 
when we're actually presented to people in a live uh, scenario, they if if they have any preconceptions about us or prejudices against us, if they if they're jazz fans and they have prejudices against us, they 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 quickly drop them. So something goes right. Right, right. I, I find. So how do you approach playing live? I've seen I've seen you on video, and it, mm. you know you look pretty lively. We are, yeah. Right. So you, you kind of get on stage and you talk to people, and you you know yeah, it's exactly it's a kind of animated experience. Well, really, again, that's the antithesis to the to the bad experiences I've had watching bands of our ilk is that it's a bit um they don't reach out they don't reach out and and <laughs> I, I like music to, to be soulful and that's not just in the sense of soul music but I like, I like it to have some empathy and I like people to feel empathy with it and, I, and I'm I'm really overconscious of how people feel in the room uh, I like that everyone are you aware of that in the room this is something we've often discussed on the podcast because mm. I've always got a feeling when I go and see rock musicians that they're not aware at all really that the audience are kind of wandering or they've been standing up too long or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and I always get the feeling about a musician on stage that that's their moment, and they're sort of not bothered about you out there. Whereas yeah. you're saying you, you've got. I know. I very. I mean, it might be to my detriment, but I, I very much care, and I very much feel what they're feeling, and 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 I will internally. If if a round of applause isn't full on at the end of a tune, I will cry inside. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's laudable. <laughs> so how long? How, this may seem an odd question. What's the longest tune you play? Um, we. We, uh, when appropriate, we can go on for ten to twelve minutes, but right. that's not—that's not in the everyone take a solo sense, which is the way that we don't do that bit. It's—it's it's about going down to nothing, you know, and literally hearing a pin drop and and feeling the audience sort of go, you know, the, right. the, 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 as I say, they're part of it, and and just building to some unbelievable peak. It's—it's it's, but it's always logical. It's not. It's not self-indulgent, I don't think. Right, right, right. So right. it can go on. Some of, a lot of our pieces are three-minute pop songs. Yeah. Um, but if there's scope to, we will go on. Do you do three-minute pop songs that are well-known by people? Um, or do you do your own three-minute We pop only songs? do our own three-minute pop oh, okay. songs. We only do our own tunes. Um, the only tune we've Why ever... Why do you come- not do... I mean, you know, if you'd have been... A jazz trio in the fifties, exactly. you would certainly have done, of course, other people's tunes. And and uh, why pe- don't you? People like well, people like Brad Meldow and the Bad Plus have, have, have locked onto that because they play modern covers, and the Radiohead is very much yeah. a common use yeah. for that. Um, and it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it's the it's the tradition in, all, in in a way. Why don't we? Because I think it's 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 in the it's sourced in that sense that we are a British band, and certainly when we go to the states or Canada, it feels like you're taking the coals back to Newcastle. Right. And I want to turn up with something other than I want to turn up with something that's quintessentially British. So when we write about like one of our tracks from our last album was called Gerald about a British telecom engineer who from who lives in Slough who um, <laughs> plays guitar at the week. In fact, he's a guitarist in the Blues Brothers band that we oh, mentioned. Okay. When we, uh, uh, he's a British telecom engineer and he wears a tank top and flared trousers. Now, one nights, thing, does this song have words? No, none of them so have words. So how is it about Gerald? It's a good question. Um, and it's just about the essence of him. It's the <laughs> essence of him. And, Geraldness. And, and, and funnily enough, um, a, friend, a mutual friend who knows him said, like, no, I do, I do imagine him managing his Saturday afternoon football team to that music. And it, So something comes across. So how do you get... It's interesting, this. He, do you compose between the three of you? Or no? I, I 
predominantly compose at home on, on my upright piano and then present it to the guys. OK, because the normal discussion over, you know, rock band generating material has a certain verbal element to it, doesn't it? You know, there's a hook line, there's a chorus here or yeah. something, which everybody locks on to. But, so when you're developing your tune about Gerald, mm. does everybody in the band know it's about Gerald? Yes, yeah. we talk about that. So we- you say, do you turn up, here's a picture, we're going to play <laughs> yeah. a bit of music that... That's a good idea. Absolutely, we've we've done it. We've done it many many times. No, um, okay, yeah. using non-verbal stimulus, and it does and it does have an effect. It has an effect because uh, we did a tune called "Distance by Clockwork" about about these imagined automatons in this nursery. One's in love with the other, and but one's rusty inside. And it's a long story, but anyway, there's this 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 thing, and you can hear Evan. He starts playing his drums like a clockwork automaton. Right, yeah. So we, it does have an effect. I think it's quite quite charming, really, to sort of try and incorporate that. Yeah. But, but Gerald, most definitely, yeah, you can you can hear Gerald in there. <laughs> So, for for the Neil Cowley trio, what does success look like when you when you dream about it? Um, you know, what? How do you see yourself? You don't presumably see yourself on the main stage at Glastonbury, or do you? Um, well, we have played Glastonbury, yeah, not main stage. We no. played uh, what was the Jazz and World stage when it existed, uh, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, what does it look like? I think it looks like uh, a full diary of international festivals they tend to be jazz festivals because that's where they have the facilities for a band such as us and increasingly jazz is not the jazz that you think it was so we do fit more and more into that calendar uh, i mean for me the definition of success is is carrying on doing what i'm doing which is playing live for people and maintaining the the career of a musician which i've always done but i've the more and more i do it the more i realize i love every second of it and i just want to ensure that 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 carries on forever so i mean really really being in an instrumental band where gray hairs don't matter quite so much is very wise move for me because it can go on and on and i can still be a credible musician for years to come being a success over the other side of the Atlantic, that would be good because I'd, I'd feel that was kind of where it started for me. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, we are successful for what we do in this country. In many ways, we are just you know the amount of record sales we have for what we are, the type of unit we are, is pretty successful. Being on Lady with Jewels was a successful moment because for a band like us, that's quite rare. If we could do that again, that would be brilliant. And you were grooming Sue Perkins to take part in. The, uh, tell us about this. Yes, um, Sue. It's did, on the telly soon. Isn't it's it? on the telly. It's on. It's on. Uh, it's on January the twenty fourth. It's broadcast. It's um, a thing called First Love, where selected celebrities. Uh, f- uh, rediscover things that they musical things that they loved in their youth. So, for instance, um, here's, here's a good one: Alistair Campbell is, re- is relearning the bagpipes. <laughs> um, Carl Cox is doing funk keyboards, um, and Sue is doing classical piano. Now, I wasn't her direct mon- mentor for the classical piece, which is a Beethoven piece, but I was brought in to um, to bring her shoulders down and to help her relax uh, and to help her enjoy it because she, she throughout her childhood she'd done so many things within music that she didn't enjoy. It turned her off it. And we had a really lovely coming together where we sort of duetted and did some sort of some open scales that she could improvise with, and just did sort of basic lessons in improvisation. And it right. was it was wonderful to watch. And then her performance at the concert, which was at the Cheltenham Arts Festival, was stunning. I was absolutely gobsmacked. She's got some nerve, hasn't she? She's got some nerve, and she's she's <laughs> her defence mechanism is words. I mean, that's her actual defence mechanism. Yeah. She can talk 
all day using yeah, words no, quite happily, quite relaxed, even though she's quite an insecure person. But you, if you, music for her is the ultimate bearer of her soul, and she can't. She has a great problem doing that, but she managed to do it, and I think and it was a wonderful moment. But to have the old. nerve to do that in front of people when you haven't done it before. Absolutely. At, <laughs> at a classical music that. festival. Oh, yeah, she's, I, I she's, can't imagine it. Yeah. So what about the practicalities of the Neil Cowley trio? Mm. You know, when you're playing gigs nowadays, you're presumably travelling what with a... Well, you can't be travelling with a grand, are you? No, no, there has to so be. So that's one there. why you, you're doing festivals. You pretty much have to go where the furniture is. Don't exactly, you? exactly that. There has to be furniture. There has to be eighty-eight keyed furniture there. Um, so that's why the international festivals, you know, you know lend themselves to it. or art centres or theatres where there are pianos. Right, right. Mm. So where are you playing in Britain in the near future? Well, our first gig is at that is the Queen Elizabeth Hall gig on the South Bank on March the fifteenth, and then after that we go round uh, the Sage and Gateshead in Newcastle. You know, we do. Um, There's a lovely. Hall. Oh, the sound in the sound stuff. in the sage. Yeah. I only went to one concert, Randy Newman, wow. and it was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's really comfortable as well. What's how, how are the Randy Newman gigs these days? Are they good? Oh, he's fantastic. His voice is not all. <laughs> his voice sounds like mine does now, <laughs> but uh, he's still funny. Oh, and he's a very good piano player, isn't he? Wonderful. Yeah, he is. He really is. Um, and it was it was just a terrific place to mm. to hear him. So I, I hope it goes as well for you there. Is it? Thank you. As it did for him. And thanks very much for coming in. Oh, and we're going to we're going to play out with another track from the face of Mount Molehill. We played Fable at the beginning. What are we going to play now? You choose, Neil. Oh, oh no. Now, ooh, do you want something? What mood do we want? What, what mood are we looking for? It's here? the end of the podcast. It's at the end of the podcast. Um, oh, oh, why am I... Uh, well, let's do Rooster Was a Witness. been listening to a word shortcast for more information go to www.wordmagazine.com mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.